Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you joined us today. We're in a series from the New Testament book in the Bible of 1 Thessalonians. We're calling this the Great Rapture Debate. We've come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm entitling this particular episode, The Tribulation Trap. I want to share with you a verse that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us in Luke 21, verse 35. Jesus said, For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now that's from the King James Version. Let me read it from some other versions as well. The Good News Bible. Like a trap, for it will come upon all people everywhere on earth. Now that's not a real direct translation, but but you see it there. Let me read it from the International Standard Version. Like a trap, because it will come on everyone who lives on the face of the earth. Even from the Aramaic Bible in plain English, this is Luke 21, verse 35. For it shall spring like a trap upon all those who dwell upon the face of all the earth. So you get the idea. Jesus warned of a particular period of time in human history called the Great Tribulation, or the Tribulation at large is seven years long, but the Great Tribulation is the last three and a half years of that time. And Jesus said it would come as a snare or a trap, and it will happen for everyone who lives on the earth. Now, let me ask you a question. If you only had about two, three, maybe four weeks to to train a brand new believer, in fact, several brand new believers, you had just started a new church, what would you make sure that they understood? What would be some of the things most important to teach to them before you were no longer with them. This is the dilemma that Paul faced when he planted a new church in Thessalonica, Greece. He was only there a few weeks, and yet we find out that he taught them in great detail about prophetic things, especially about the rapture of the church and the tribulation period. We saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, in our last episode, we saw that the the fact that Christ is going one day to rapture his church out of this world brings great comfort to the heart of true Christians. The reason that's true is all of us have loved ones who trust in the Lord, who've already passed away, my mother and father, for example, and I'm sure you have people in your family and friends who love the Lord, and yet they they passed away before the Lord raptured the church. Well, the good news is 
they're not going to miss out on that. And you can go back and listen to that episode from last week, and you can read about it in 1 Thessalonians 4. But we, we also know that right after the rapture of the church, we don't know exactly when, but there will be a peace treaty signed by a false world leader that is called the Beast. We often call him the Antichrist. That peace treaty will be signed, and that is the, that's the trigger, that's the start of the tribulation trap in the world. <clears throat> now, Paul thought that this was such an urgent, vital, important doctrine that he taught it to this young church. And yet today, it's hard to find churches anywhere. I mean, there are still churches that teach prophecy, but it's increasingly rare. In fact, just as Peter predicted, there would be, there is now mocking and scoffing regarding the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, and all that goes with that. Where we're going to see today when we start reading in 1 Thessalonians 5 that after the rapture of the church, which is something that comforts believers and we're to comfort one another with that truth, that we will not go through the great tribulation, although we may go through... Um, let me rephrase that. We will not go through the, the tribulation at all, that seven-year period. The Lord takes his bride out of the world before his wrath is poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. But that doesn't mean we won't go through tribulation, small t, that is trouble, persecution, opposition, all of that, before that time, and we could very well endure that here in America uh, before the rapture of the church, but that doesn't have anything to do with whether the rapture is going to happen or not. It will, and true believers in Christ will be taken out of this world to the marriage supper of the Lamb, to the, the rewards at uh, the Bema seat of Christ where our, our Christian life is rewarded and so forth. But while we're doing that, the tribulation trap is unfolding in the world. Now, before we read 1 Thessalonians 5, I want to explain to you what I think is, is happening now and will constitute certainly a part of the tribulation trap that Jesus warned about. Most of you are probably, if you're not, you should be, you're probably aware that there's a massive move on in the world, and there, and there has been for some time, for a global government, what often is referred to as a one-world government. And it's, it's there, uh, it's among the progressives and the socialists and so forth, and they just think this would be just Jim Dandy, you know, that the whole world would be under one global government. Well, actually, that's a great idea, but it needs to be Jesus Christ running that government. And one day there will be. But before Christ comes back large and in charge to take over in the return of Christ, which is not the same as the rapture now, but when he comes to do that, uh, 
you know, his kingdom will be on the earth. So that'll be great. But before that, mankind, and really it's ultimately Satan who's fighting God, mankind will establish a global government which Satan through the beast, through the Antichrist, will take great benefit of and guide that. And you've heard of the mark of the beast and all of that uh, mark on the right hand, the forehead. Many people try to explain that away. I want you to know that technology like that already exists and some companies are using it. And I, I heard last week that uh, Sweden has adopted uh, a good bit of this. So w- what I think is going to happen, and we'll have, uh, we'll have some podcasts on this in, in greater detail, but I think that technology, digital technology, artificial intelligence, predictive AI, all of this kind of stuff, the surveillance society that we live in. China is the most heavily surveilled country in the world, and American corporations are helping build that. I think that whether they, they intend that or not, it certainly will has the ability to be used for global, global government and to control people. So we'll get into that um, in greater detail as we go forward. But I think that is part of the trap that, uh, that is being set. And I think that when, when cash money disappears or is outlawed and, and money is only digital, then somebody can, can essentially make you disappear with the push of a button. You follow what I'm saying? There is a, a trap coming on the world and the world is hard at work building its own trap. So, anyway, after the rapture of the church is the what is called the day of the Lord. And that's not just like one day, it's a, a period and a season of time, but it certainly will include the tribulation and it will include the Lord liter- literally returning to the earth. Now, I know what you're thinking right now, but, 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 Pastor Ed, no man knows the day or the hour. That's true. But for example, let's say that, um, let's say that you're a, a married couple and you're expecting a baby and it's, it's been about nine months and you know that baby's going to be born. Now you may not know the day or the hour, but you're pretty sure that soon at an unknown day and hour, but you you can see it coming that you're going to be taking a trip to the hospital for the baby to be delivered. Does that make sense? And so you can see how that that uh, ties in here with prophetic things. So we're not setting a date and all of that. And by the way, one other thing I want to get out of the way very quickly. A lot of the date setters and people, for example, who've literally sold everything they had, set on tops of their houses and white robes, that was a cult that did that, okay? And a lot of that kind of stuff comes out of heretical groups or groups that that severely misunderstand 
who Christians are and, and how we are to anticipate the return of Christ. And, and so consequently, there's a lot of mocking and scoffing about that. But that's not what we're talking about. And you'll, you'll see here that that certainly is not the proper response to what we're going to hear today. Okay, so let's go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to go to chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. So with everything I've said so far as a background, I think you can understand uh, what, what we're getting at here. Okay, so everybody on board? All right, yes, I see that show of hands. All right, <laughs> so let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. And we read there, now Now remember, this is very important. What we read in episode, uh, the last episode about the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians 4, especially verses 13 through 18, about how the rapture of the church will unfold, what happens to believers who die before the rapture of the church, what happens to believers who are alive at at the rapture of the church, you know, we go to be with the Lord. We're to comfort one another with these words. That remember this: that the chapter divisions and the verse numbers that we see in the Bibles that we use today uh, were not. Paul didn't write the verse, the chapter and verse. Okay, you follow what I'm saying? So, chapter four doesn't stop at 1 Thessalonians 4.18 because those numbers are not here. It just goes right into the rest of it. So where it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words, I think I'm quoting that correctly, it goes right into what I'm about to read. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. In other words, he had taught them about these prophetic things. So it wasn't that he didn't think it was important. He thought it was immensely important. And he taught this brand new church, these brand new believers in Christ about Bible prophecy. So if he thought they should know it, then you and I should know it as well. Amen? Amen. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, you could think, I don't think I'm wrong in saying this, that the rapture and the day of the Lord are like two different sides of the same coin. That, that may very well be a good analogy there. When the rapture happens, that's good for us who believe in Christ, right? But it's not good for the people who are left behind who've never quite gotten around to trusting in Christ, who, who maybe have even rejected the gospel of Christ, who've invented their own religions, or who said there is no God, there's no such thing as religion or heaven or anything like that. So for a, a lost world, 
that, that are not Christians, that are unsaved, that are not raptured, that are left behind, this, this event is happening as a thief in the night. I mean, it is unexpected. When it occurs, it's a bad thing. Nobody's prepared. And let me show you what Paul says here. So let me go back to verse one. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And that reminds us of what Christ said in Luke 21 35 about the snare that would come upon the whole world, everybody that lives in the world at that time. Now, it's interesting that he says, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. What, are the, what is the world in general clamoring for now? with climate change and global warming. And hey, when I was in college in the late 70s, it was global cooling at that time. And then they had to change their uh, MO, you know, later. So when you have all these uh, catastrophe and disaster scenarios that, you know, we need safety from and all of that, and, you know, obviously the world says anyway, that it wants peace from war and, and terrorism and so forth. When they shall say peace and safety, and it may be that, that the world is longing for that, or it may mean that they think they have arrived at a point where finally they have peace and safety. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them. So, Paul has taught this young church, the Thessalonican church, about these things. And he, he emphasizes that again in verse 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. So there's a lot packed into these few verses we just read. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know that the rapture is coming, and then on the heels of that, 
what is called the day of the Lord. Um, it's, it's the seven-year period of tribulation where the world uh, is looking for peace and safety and it becomes anything but that. Maybe not right away, but that's, that's where it ends up. And Paul says, you, you know about this because I've taught you about this and don't worry about it because you're children of the light your children of the day, we, but who's we? Believers in Christ are not of the night nor of darkness. And he says that, you know, therefore we should not be sleeping as others, as do others. That's the lost world, but let us watch and be sober. And this means to be, um, just be on the alert, be serious about these things and about how we live for the Lord, right? And then he says in seven again, for they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, why does he say that? Because of verse nine, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the great rapture debate, there, there's a lot of debate um, among people who, who believe in Christ. And I, will just, I would just grant and assume that they are true believers in Christ. I'm not doubting that. But there are a growing number that are either completely unaware of anything that we've studied last week and this week because they haven't been taught about it and and. And forget the fact that they haven't been taught. You can't depend on other people to do your Christian growing for you, right? The, those people who don't know about it have not read their Bibles. Bottom line, whether they somebody's tried to teach them or not, if they had read their own Bibles, they would know about these things. Harsh, I know, but it's true. So um, each of us are responsible for our own Christian life. Nevertheless, there are vast multitudes of professing Christians who don't even know about what we're talking about right now. And then among other Christians, there are Christians who understand from the scripture here that we will be raptured uh, before the tribulation period comes to the earth because the tribulation is when God pours his wrath out on a Christ-rejecting world. There will be people saved in that, by the way, but it, it'll be a time that nobody will really want to be in. You, you should not want to go through the tribulation. You should not have the attitude, but I want to show that I'm a true Christian. Hey, God, God already knows whether you are or not, and going through the tribulation is not going to prove that. You see what I mean? So, uh, anyway, there are Christians that think that that we the church will go through the entire tribulation. Some think the church goes through the first half, but then we're raptured before the great tribulation, the last three and a half years. Some don't think there is a rapture. Some think that Christ is never coming back. It's just there's so much confusion and debate about the rapture of the church. But right here, I'm a simple guy, all right? Right here is pretty simple. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. 
You know, and that's what the tribulation is. But to attain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here, he's writing to people who are already saved. So the the idea, uh, they've come to salvation through Christ. So that's not the salvation talked about right here. But to obtain salvation is the idea of deliverance. But to obtain deliverance, or think of the word rescue. That's what the rapture is. For God has not appointed us, who's us? True believers in Christ. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that is, whether we're still living when he comes back or we've passed away before that, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. It's interesting to me, right there in verse 11, you know, and I'm just being honest here, I would not be terribly comforted if I thought I was going to have to go through the tribulation all seven years, or even just the first three and a half years. That's not very comforting, okay? But right here, he says, this truth I've just told you about, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify, that is, build up one another, even as also ye do. So I think it's pretty clear here that the Lord removes his true believers, the true church, before the the tribulation period unfolds. Let me give you some aspects of the rapture and the, the second coming of Christ, which is in the tribulation and between children of the light and children of the dark. All right, make two columns. Uh, Take a piece of notebook paper. I'll wait. Okay, you've got it? Great. You have something to write with. Draw a line down the center of that notebook paper, and on, let's say on the left-hand side, write the word rapture at the top of the page, and on the right-hand side, write the word uh, tribulation. Now, in the rapture, that's good for us who believe Christ, right? Amen. But then on the other side of that line under tribulation, it's bad for them. Did you notice the pronouns us, us, and they, and them, and we, and they, and them? Did you notice that? There's, there's clearly two groups of people spoken of here. And the, the ones that are the they and them, they're not like believers, but they're not very good ones. They're not saved. Do you, you follow me? So the us and we are true believers in Christ who are truly saved. Not just that maybe they go to a church occasionally somewhere, but they're, they're truly born again. That's the us and we. The they and them are those, whether they profess to be a Christian or not, but they're they're not. I mean, either way, they're not saved. They're not part of the bride of Christ. They've never been born again. They're not regenerate. And they may be other types of religions too, you know, like Hindu, Buddhist, Islam, and all of that. So, so you've got the rapture side and the tribulation side. The rapture is good for us, but you know what? It's bad for them because that begins the process of unfolding the tribulation period once that 
that peace covenant is signed by the beast with Israel. And when we think of the rapture, we go to meet the Lord where? In 1 Thessalonians 4, we saw that we meet the Lord where? In the air. But in the, in the return of Christ on the other side, Christ comes literally physically and his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives, literally outside the real city of Jerusalem in Israel. All of that actually happens in the second coming. In the rapture, believers go to receive their rewards for the Christian life they've lived. But in the return of Christ, there's judgment involved for the world that has rejected Christ. In the rapture, it's, it's unexpected. That is, I, I don't know if it's next Tuesday three months from now, 10 years from now, I don't know when it'll be. But it will, it will be, you, you know, the, the, when it happens, it will be, I don't know when it is, therefore it's unexpected. I am expecting a rapture, but I don't know when it will be, okay? But in the tribulation and then the ending in the second coming of Christ, that's at the end of seven years. So if somebody did know their Bible and they were alive during that time, they would be able to tell that they might not know the exact day and hour and they won't, but they would be able to see that, wow, this thing has been going on six years and nine months. We're getting pretty close to the end here. Does that make sense to you? So it's, it's a little more predictable. Then we see on the rapture side that, that those who are raptured are, are children of the day, right? That's those who come to the light in Christ. But on the tribulation side, those people are children of the night. They're, they're the children of darkness. They're in darkness. They don't have the light. They're of the night, and they're just stumbling around in the dark, and this trap is going to spring on them. In the rapture, maybe a Christian, like let's say I say, uh, talking about the rapture, I would say, well, I wouldn't be surprised if it was pretty soon. Now, I'm not predicting when it'll be, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was soon because I can see things going on around me that relate to things that the Bible prophesies about the global government, about a trap that is being set for the entire world, about the treatment of Israel, and, and just on and on. Okay, so I'm not blind. I know what I see, right? And if you're a believer, you know what I'm talking about. But when you have the other side, the tribulation and the return of Christ, I think those people are going to say things like, I'm totally shocked. I didn't think the Bible was actually true, but this is happening just like the Bible said it would happen. There'll be complete bafflement. I don't even know if that's a word, but that'll be the feeling that people have because they have no idea what's coming on the earth and they won't really understand it, I don't think, when they're right in the middle of it. On the rapture side, uh, because we're children of the day, we're to watch. But on the on the return of Christ tribulation side of your page, 
the people who don't know Christ are just, they're just asleep. And that word sleep there is a different word than is used for Christians who, whose death is described as a sleep, that we're asleep in Christ. You know, and it's, it's no more hard, it's no harder for Christ to resurrect believers than it is to awaken somebody from a nap. I mean, you see what that's saying? But a different word is used here for these, these people who are asleep, you know, <laughs> asleep at the wheel. They're just completely indifferent, completely ignorant about these things. And I'm not judging them. I'm just saying, you know, it's just where they are. They've rejected so much light that now they're, they don't even understand what they're heading for and won't understand it when they're in the middle of it. Then, on the rapture side, uh, we are to be sober or alert, serious. But on the tribulation side, those people, they're, it's like they're just drunken. They're so out of it, they can't discern anything spiritually. And I want you to think about how the gospel goes out constantly to the world. And... You know, we have programs like this. We have churches on every corner. In America, we've got, you know, every home, a lot of homes anyway, have just tons of Bibles that nobody reads. The gospel is available in America if somebody wants to know it, and it's, it's becoming increasingly available around the world. But you see, if you're a child of the night and you're comfortable in the night and you're asleep, it's like having... It's like a disease being raging across the world, like the coronavirus, for example, that everybody's freaking out about. I think a lot of that's to sell newspapers and newscasts. But anyway, um, it's like, you know, you, you get the coronavirus, but you're completely ignorant that doctors are available to help you. Or it's like being on a ship that's going down and and you're trying to solve the problem when there's a captain there who could easily take care of everything because maybe it's not really going down, just some things need to be taken care of. Or it's like being somebody on death row. I mean, you're going to be executed tonight and, and being completely uninterested in the warden who happens to have in his coat pocket a pardon from the governor. Well, I don't, I don't care. I don't want to talk to the warden. That's how the lost world is toward the things of Christ. Now, there are, there are often lost people who are saved from that side that move to the other side, but we're given broad descriptions, general descriptions of children of the light and children of the, um, of the night. So I believe that 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 clearly teach that Christians, the true church, born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, were the bride of Christ, and Christ rescues his bride before he declares war on a Christ-rejecting planet, which you see unfold in the book of the Revelation. Now, that means that uh, we are not appointed to wrath, but we're appointed to rapture, 
to rescue. Now again, that doesn't mean that I might not go through severe persecution before that, but they're, they're not the same thing. Do you follow me? Wherefore, just like he said, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now, one of the problems that happens sometimes when Bible prophecy is preached about and taught about and studied is there's, there's always that guy or that gal or that group that take it in a direction that is not intended to be taken. And that would be, for example, somebody might say, well, I think the rapture's coming next week, so we should all just quit our jobs this week and spread the word. And that sounds really noble, except we're not told to do that. And I want you to wrap your heart and minds around what I'm about to say, friends. If I really understand the rapture of the church and I really understand the tribulation period that's coming on non-Christians, it will make me a better Christian. I will be a better employee, better spouse, better father, you know, if you're a lady, a mother, you know, and so on. It'll make me just a better citizen because I want to do everything I can to have the right kind of witness, right? Uh, not only to the, my family, but to the community at large. So we, we read here, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So one of the things we're to do is to have the proper respect for our pastors, to, to really appreciate them who work hard. And they're, they're our leaders uh, in our churches. And sometimes they even even admonish us or warn us, and they work hard among us. And I, listen, I've been a pastor. I was a pastor for about 30 years. And for all of you guys and gals out there who are saying, well, you need to get a real job, pastor. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you this. A pastor who does his job the way he should do it works really hard. And I bet a lot of you could not have run with me for one week when I was a pastor because I, I believe I did it the way it should be done. And it was hard work. And I was glad to do it. Um, so anyway, I know the joke about uh, when you're going to get a real job. I know how that goes. <laughs> but if you're in a church situation where, where biblically, scripturally, and truly you don't respect your pastor and you have issues with the pastor, one of two things is true. Either you've got some wrong attitudes you need to repent of or you're in the wrong church and you need to find a church and a pastor that will be someone that you can look up to. Does that make sense? But don't tear up the church you're in because when I think about the Lord could return for the church at any time, I don't want to be tearing up the church he's coming back for. How about you? Verse 13, he says further about our pastors and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. 
We live in a day where more and more people seem to be picking fights with their pastors. I don't get it. Now, obviously, if a pastor is a false teacher or he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, then yes, I understand that has to be confronted. But I hear uh, so often about churches where, where professing Christians who will agree on sound doctrine, evangelism, all of that, they just can't get along. They can't get along with each other or with their church leadership. That's just wrong. If Christ could come next Friday afternoon, for example, that helps keep me and my attitudes lined up because I want to be, I want to be the right kind of believer when the Lord comes back, not one tearing up my church. Verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, that is like a, a military idea of they just break ranks. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. So maybe, maybe there are people who just aren't sure about all the doctrine and they just have a lot of issues. Help them, you know? You see what I'm saying? So warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. That might be like a, a brand new Christian who needs to be helped in his growth or her growth in the Lord. Be patient toward all men. So there's nothing in here about how combative we are to be with one another. <laughs> now again, we're not talking about excusing false doctrine, but I'm just saying if you're in a church where everybody agrees, you know, Jesus is God and the, the, the Bible is the word of God and people have to be saved and all of that, but you can't get along together, you need to take a hard look at how you're applying the truth that you believe. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. That is, you can't just let some people do anything they want when they're clearly out of line. Get them back in line. Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So there's no room in the heart of a true Christian. There's no room in the heart of a true church filled with true Christians of getting even with people, uh, holding a grudge, taking revenge. That's completely opposite the Spirit of Christ. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, and so I would say that's not even limited to the church. If somebody in the community is just really, you know, hurting you, don't, don't try to pay them back or get back at them. You know, try to love them to the Lord. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So it's not just limited to within the church. This should be our attitude to the whole community we live in because these are people who need to know Christ, like we know Christ. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. And one of the reasons we can rejoice evermore is, you know, if I die before the Lord comes back, I'm instantly in heaven to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Amen. If I live long enough and I live long enough to the rapture of the church and he comes to take me home, hey, either way, rejoice evermore. It's all good. 
Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Now again, this doesn't mean the Hollywood version where you've got to hit your knees, bow your head, and fold your hands. Nothing wrong with that at all. But it just means that like, you know, if you're driving down the road and the Lord puts somebody on your heart to pray for, pray for them. I've had some friends recently who are going through different uh, career issues or health issues and so on. And every time I think of them, I pray for them. And I'm going to keep doing that, you know, is, is every time the Lord reminds me so that the Lord's best happens in their lives. So prayer is not something that's done like some formulaic prayer that you pray once a week at your church. There's, that's not wrong, but it should be something that characterizes our life from the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep. And ideally, you will dream about praying. <laughs> Be in constant communication with the Lord because he's constantly communicating with you. Verse 18, and everything give thanks. That means that when things aren't going so great, thank the Lord for the things you're thankful for. When they are going great, thank him again. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Don't be an ingrate. Be a grateful, thankful Christian. The Lord is worthy of that, and you you are way more blessed than you, you should be, and so am I. So in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19, quench not the Spirit. The, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, God in us, can be compared to a flame. Well, don't keep throwing water on the flame of God. If the Lord is is lighting a fire in your heart about witnessing to someone, don't, don't keep dousing that flame. Go share the gospel of Christ with that person. Or if it's about taking a, a Sunday school class in your church and you and you know the Lord's talking to you about it, don't put that fire out. Take that class. He'll help you. Verse 20, despise not prophesyings. So we are, we are often told the word of God through sermons and Sunday school classes and maybe somebody even shares a verse with us and they didn't even understand it, but God just used them to speak to us. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things, that is, don't just take everything on face value. Prove all things, test, you know, test all things. Hold fast that which is good. Whatever doesn't pass the test, let it go. But what passes the test is sound doctrine, sound living. What's right, hang on to that, right? Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. If if how you're living or what you're believing or anything like that just looks evil, it's probably something you shouldn't be involved in, all right? Abstain from all appearance of evil. Just if something doesn't seem right, doesn't look right, you know, don't, don't keep doing it. Don't stay involved in it. Verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, that is, completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body 
be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. And that's just like uh, we're in the, this kind of still is true in the Middle East and other parts of the world. Men would, would give that light kiss on each side of the uh, face of a, a man they meet, uh, you know, a, a kiss of greeting. Women would greet each other the same way. Now, where Christians get into trouble is if men are trying to kiss women in a church. That shouldn't be done. All right, greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So we can see in the great rapture debate that there was a lot of uh, worry and fear and discomfort about the rapture of the church. But as we've seen what this letter says, that is simply replaced with the peace and comfort that God gives about the rapture of the church. So I hope this helps you in the great rapture debate, and I've, I've kind of saved this until now. But we're going to go also in the next episode into Second Thessalonians because there's even more there that relates to the rapture of the church and the uh, second coming of Christ, the tribulation, the Antichrist, and so on. And I think that will help us even more in the great rapture debate. Well, I'm so happy you joined us today. If you have questions, spiritual questions or concerns, and you need to speak with somebody you during uh, uh, normal business hours, 8 to 5 daily, Monday through Friday, Eastern Time in the United States, you can call 888-537-8720 to get spiritual help. 888-537-8720. You will get help on becoming a Christian and, of course, living your life as a Christian if you call that number. Well, again, I thank you for listening today. I hope that you uh, do feel that this has been of great benefit to you today. I'm hoping you'll let other people know about the podcast. Tell them the super easiest way to find us. Just type in their search bar, www.dredhill.podbean.com. There's no period after the D-R, just D-R-E-D-H-I-L-L dot podbean dot com. We can also be found on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Apple iTunes, and so forth. Well, again, thanks for listening. I hope you will join us on our next episode. May God bless you richly this week is my prayer for you. Thank you.